you can empathize with with mm. people for sure but i think until you've you've lived those experiences or you fully comprehend what that the impact of those are it's not the easiest to to fully understand yeah. welcome to the digest the podcast where we get real about diversity and inclusion on the ground looking at the stories and the journeys of activists and allies in the dni space globally my name's Helen Maguire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, and I'll be talking to all sorts of characters from around the world about what they're doing in the DNI space and their journey to get there. My next guest on the Digest is Rashi Sika. Rashi is the VP of Global Diversity, Inclusion and Accessibility, very important word, which we'll discuss briefly in this chat. Currently at Ubisoft, ex-Uber, she's the co-founder of the Inclusion Company and sits as a non-exec director on a bunch of very, very impactful businesses globally. This is a really insightful chat on a journey into diversity and inclusion from a pretty standing star. And I think anybody out there who's considering that is definitely worth a listen. Let's get into it. Rashi, welcome to the Digest. Uh, how are you doing today and, and where do we find you? I'm good. It's a Friday. Cannot complain. I'm in Paris today. Okay, yes. You've been traveling rather a lot. We've been trying to get this done for a little while now and uh, you've had a crazy, crazy schedule. So tell us a little bit about your role and what it entails at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It has it has been a bit hectic, to say the least. Once travel, travel resumed, right, borders opened and I was on a mission to try and get out to as many offices and studios as I as I could. So I, I work at, at Ubisoft, one of the world's leading game developers, and I am the vice president of global diversity, inclusion and accessibility. I joined Ubisoft in Feb 2021. And so it's, I'm coming up to two years now, which is really exciting. And as you say, you know, the world has changed dramatically whilst you've been in this role. What was the purpose of the role when you when you first started and how has that changed for you over the the course of a couple of years? Yeah, so when I when I joined my role was diversity and inclusion. <laughs> and in the last uh in in this year we we expanded and merged the accessibility team with with my former team. So now we're the global diversity, inclusion, and accessibility team. So that's one way <laughs> in which it's 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 evolved and it's changed. But honestly, not necessarily too many changes for us. This role, the role that I'm in, is a is a fairly new role at Ubisoft. It didn't exist before I, I joined. It's a unique role in, in many ways. I sit on the CEO's leadership team. I report to the CEO of the, of the organization. And my mandate, my team and I look after diversity, inclusion, accessibility both from the lens of our teams and also our products, so our games and the content that we make as a, as a developer. So it's a really exciting, really, really exciting role. The link between diversity and inclusion from a workforce, workplace perspective is directly connected to our overall all strategy of our, of our games. So it's fantastic to be involved from that lens and, and be able to impact um, culture at, at large, which is what, what games are. As you say, that is a really unique perspective on diversity and inclusion. And I can completely see now why and how the accessibility part of it has come into play. What does that look like on a daily basis for you? You know, who are you working with on the product side of things and what changes have been made recently? Oh, we work with everyone. Like any diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner, you know, your work is 
it happens through people, right? It happens through the, the leadership, it happens through HR, through your, your talent team, through, you know, people managers, through your ERGs, your employees, you know, so it's, it's really a concerted effort. So, you know, there's no day looks similar. When it comes to specifically the product and the games, a key layer in or, or key lever in, in this is, of course, our development teams, folks who are working hard day in and day out, you know, putting their love and their passion into into the art of, of game making and game design. So anyone from a creative director, a producer, someone who's in charge of localization, an artist, narrative, casting, voiceover, you know, a myriad of different functions, you know, and, and expertise going to making games. So my team works with really everyone who, every every team that is involved in that space. And I suppose, you know, where accessibility is concerned in gaming, I'm thinking of it from two angles. One is the actual accessibility of the games themselves for those with differing abilities and and different ways of of learning and and approaching things online. And then also the accessibility in terms of those people potentially being reflected in the games or those from underrepresented groups and minorities being reflected in those games, as you say, through the kind of casting and the the voiceovers and the visuals and, and all sorts of things. Is that the scope of it or is there more to it than that? That is the scope of it. The accessibility team at Ubisoft has been around for about five years now. So before I even joined Ubisoft, it's led by a very, very talented leader named David Tisserand. And he's a phenomenal expert in this space. And he's built a wonderful team of experts who are helping guide this work across our different studios and different projects at at Ubisoft. And this team really focuses um, on ensuring that every single player in the world is able to access our games and that no barriers should exist in how our games are are created and how our games are played by individuals across the world. So that's really their mission. So it includes everything from making sure the colors that you see are accessible by someone who is colorblind, Mm. um, as an example, right? All the way to, you know, end to end from the first time someone hears about our game to when they buy it, to when they play it, that whole value chain, that whole ecosystem is accessible end to end. So that's really one of their big areas of focus. And then, of course, you know, the second part which you spoke about is how do we represent and how do we showcase diversity of the world at large in our games? So yes, 100%, that's another, another aspect. The third is how do we ensure that lens of accessibility that we've applied to the player experience reflects on our internal employee experience. So our our offices, our studios, the tech and the tools that we use internally, the events that we we hold internally and externally. How do we ensure this lens of accessibility is, is really reflected across every single aspect of what we do at Ubisoft? And is it easy to measure those types of things? You know, what what kind of checks and balances do you have in place? Is is it a benchmarking exercise? Is it being market leader in this space? How do you approach that side of things? It depends, right? It's it's hard to give you a generic answer because it depends on what we're trying to measure. Are we trying to measure the accessibility of an event? Are we trying to measure a new tool that we've implemented in a game and the accessibility of that? So it, it really depends. It's hard to give you a generic answer on that. 
Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot there, obviously, in terms of the accessibility, in terms of the the diversity and inclusion, as you say, externally, internally, across the games themselves. I just want to kind of step back a little bit into your own personal route into this space, because as you say, it is quite a unique role. So how did you come to be in in this role? What's your kind of background and history? Yeah, sure. It's I've had a fairly non-linear, one might say unconventional career path that's led me to, to the work that I'm doing today. I started my professional journey in television. I'm originally from, from India and I, right after I finished my undergrad, I joined a very well-known and well-respected news channel in India called NDTV. So that's really the, the, the kickstart of my career. And I had the opportunity to work on a number of really fascinating projects and, you know, the opportunity to conceptualize India's first telethon and just really fascinating experience as a young professional. I did that for a couple of years and then I moved to to Bombay to work more on big budget blockbuster television shows with huge investments like Indian Idol, as an example, one of the projects that I worked on. So that's where I really spent the very early six to seven years of my, my career. While I was I was still in India, I had this opportunity. Uber was was entering the market. Mm. They hadn't entered the country yet. And I, I you know found out that they were about to enter. I was on a bit of a break from television. I was reconsidering what I wanted to do long-term in life. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to be in, in, in television long-term. And one of the reasons for that was I was a bit tired of seeing the stereotypical depiction. Just the, uh, you know, we we would, we loved in, in, at that point in television at least, showcasing a lot of stereotypes. And I was trying to push against that as a young television professional who had who had risen up the ranks fairly quickly, but I was being met with quite some resistance. And so that that was one of the reasons why I wanted to take a step back and reevaluate what my my next move would be. And that's around the same time that that Uber was set to enter India. And, you know, on a lark, I said, why not give it a go? And seven days later, I was hired. And, you know, they said, oh, why don't you go to Bangalore and help launch Uber in, in the first city in, in India? So that's how I kind of entered tech. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience joining Uber as the first employee in New Delhi to help build a business really from scratch, from, from bottoms up. Fascinating experience, learned a lot. And while I was in that seat, you know, when you're when you're an early employee, in my instance, the first employee in a city, a lot of your time is spent in recruitment. You know, you're meeting a lot of candidates because you need to you need to build a team, hire a team because you can't you can't do this on your own, right? And what I was noticing as I was going through those those interviews that I was being presented the same kind of candidates. They all sounded the same. Their credentials were more or less the same. And I felt I felt like I was the odd one out because I ne- I didn't have any of those. I didn't have that pedigree or that those credentials. Mm. And I started questioning, do I really belong here? You know, how did I get in? <laughs> did they make a mistake? And, and why, why do you why do you think that was? Because as you say, it is it is quite a leap. I mean, I can see the kind of the line between obviously you were frustrated in the, the film and TV industry. 
But then, as you say, tech is also a very male-dominated industry. So why do you think the opening was there for you, you know, looking back? Well, actually, contrary, I wouldn't say so also. The the television industry in in India is not male-dominated. Most of the leaders that I encountered in my my time were, were women. And so I, I realized that tech is, is quite different from television in, in many instances, but it, it's not also, right? I think I didn't know. I didn't know better. I was excited mm-hmm. by the opportunity more than, than anything else. And I, I jumped at that. I, I thought it could be interesting. It was going to be something very different from what I had done before. And I, you know, I enjoy taking risks. I enjoy experimenting. I enjoy doing something different. That's why I made that, I made that decision. And I didn't know. I really didn't know. I was a bit naive, I will say. I, I didn't know what I was going to be in for. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad, right? I'm, I'm glad I took, I took that jump, I, that leap of faith. And I had a wonderful, wonderful learning experience and, and many, many opportunities because of that, that leap mm. of faith. Yeah. And in terms of the pushback you were then getting, was that the same in the, in the tech industry when you were being presented with, you know, round after round of the same kind of person let's say what was your next step did you bring that up like how did you address that yeah and I I don't think it was pushback I think I was being presented by candidates that were known to be successful right Mm. that fit the mold that weren't risky for for the kind of rules and and things that we were looking for that had been successful in other markets so I there wasn't pushback necessarily but when I started raising the, the the question it garnered conversation so that was that was really interesting that it wasn't necessarily top of mind for everyone till till it was said, right? And I wasn't I wasn't alone in my in my thinking. I think more and more yeah. people were having a similar reflection in, in different parts of, of of the world. So that for me, that that moment of reflection of you know just even asking the question, in many ways led me on this path of of where I am, where I am today, or those series of questions that I asked along along my career and, and along my my childhood and and you know my teenage years growing up. So after after you know helping Uber you know launch in in India in in a few different parts of the country, I decided that I wanted to move to Europe, and the opportunity that I had was to pivot in my career and do something really different, which was to join the talent team at Uber in their international headquarters in in Amsterdam, and I jumped at that opportunity. I mm. thought it would be interesting for me to try something different, to try something new, to bring my my marketing, my storytelling skills to to recruitment and to talent with this lens of diversity and inclusion, you know, that I had started, I had started, you know, bringing up to team members at Uber. Yeah. And with that, I, I made that made that shift. It was a very unconventional move. Many people were questioning my decision making, but I, I, I like, I like taking risks. I like experimenting i like exploring and and seeing what's what's out there and that was really what led me to to joining the talent team and i did that for a little while i, I helped set up uber's um campus recruiting project in in europe middle east and, and africa led a bunch of different you know recruiting initiatives started focusing on employer branding and all with this lens of diversity and inclusion and how did that lens play out what were you doing differently i suppose than than what had been done before yeah, one was really having the conversation and just making it top of mind for for mm. people. You know, at that point in time, for for Uber, it was it was a hyper growth phase, right? So we were the company was launching in multiple markets every day, and the only way to do that was to hire at scale and hire really really fast. And we know when you do that, right? When you hire at scale and you hire really really fast, 
you don't really tend to regard diversity and inclusion very much. And you, you know, you, you do go into moments of kind of replicating what has been successful in, yeah, in the just past. kind of a default, default position to get the job done. Exactly. exactly. You're not taking a moment to pause and to think, right? Because you just have to go, 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 go. So just being able to take a step back and, you know, put this front and center in people's mind, starting to look at different channels of sourcing, you know, going out to different campus campuses and universities and trying to meet with, you know, their, you know, their uh, LGBTQ club, their women's mm. club, their Africa club, and bring in more diverse talent really at the early stages was, you know, some of the things that we started to do to kind of shift and, and change that needle, but really having the conversation and bringing it front and center so that leadership was aware that we were missing out on on opportunities, on, on talent yeah. that was phenomenal and would add to our business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think, I think that's one of the key things, isn't it? It's kind of looking in places where perhaps you haven't thought to look before, not relying on the same old channels, not looking at all the places that maybe your competitors are looking as well. So you can surface some of that talent. And were you also looking at things like transferable skills and so on to get people from different industries in, into the business? You know, which absolutely. is essentially where you, you'd come from, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely, mm. 100%. But I think at the same time, in addition to those different sourcing channels, it's the work that you do internally, right? And changing the yeah. mindsets and behaviors. Because, you know, we can bring as, I mean, you know, talent teams can bring as many talented um, candidates that exist. But unless the decision makers are willing to accept and see and value that difference, it's a lost cause. So it, I think you have to do the work at the same time to truly make change happen. And that's really how I kind of got into a more formal diversity and inclusion role at Uber. When Uber decided to set up a diversity and inclusion strategy and build out a diversity and inclusion team, I was one of the founding team members who helped build that out and help Uber with its cultural transformation. So I did that for about, about five years or so. And then I decided that I had been at Uber for about eight years by then. <laughs> it had been a while and I needed something different. And I was longing to go back into um, into a more creative space mm. again, yeah. going back to my roots maybe in, in some way from, from television. And um, that's when Ubisoft uh, happened and it was a really exciting opportunity. In many ways, similar to when I joined Uber on the diversity and inclusion team, it was off the back of a crisis. I had done that work before at Uber. I had helped the organization navigate and, and come through and emerge and transform. It's difficult work, but it's very gratifying work. And I knew it could be done. It takes time, but it can be done. And I was excited to um, join Ubisoft in a completely different culture and context, but with that backdrop of a, of a crisis yeah. and, and okay. join the organization. Looking back at your time at, at Uber, what change are you most proud of? Is is there something that sort of stands out to you as a, you know, as a pinnacle moment or something pivotal that changed the way that things were done? It's hard to say one specific moment. Yeah. I think series of different things that happen and you start seeing change manifest. You know, one of the things I tell people is for me, when I started seeing a change in language, and how people were communicating with each other and the discourse and the organization shift mm. around the topic of talent, what good looks like. That for me was, was a sign that we were making progress and success was happening. So it's not one specific moment, but it's a series of moments that led to this, this shift in culture. Um, yeah, and that takes time. It's, 
time for for such a big company. <laughs> yeah, massive. And and exactly as you were saying, you know, it's it's a real mindset shift. It's an organizational shift. It's a whole different approach, really, to talent and what you value yeah. in yeah. candidates and talent and pipelines and so on. And you start, you know, the, the interesting thing is that you start seeing the shift in the discourse and the communication and language and the questions people are asking. But then that manifests into, you know, your your representation shifting. Right. Yeah. So you see those those changes and then you start seeing changes in how you do business and how decisions are being made mm. and how products developed so that that change journey is what is super exciting it's a ripple effect and it doesn't all happen in yeah one yeah exactly I was gonna say it's kind of like a wave and I think having been there for eight years it was probably long enough for you to for you to see that from from bottom to top if you like absolutely yeah yeah and did you ever face you know personally any challenges from the perspective of entering a global organization with your racial and ethnic background was there ever any did you face any issues there at all you know moving to the Netherlands and so on I think everyone faces <laughs> anyone who's in you know part of the global majority or underrepresented group you know when you're in in a space that you know you are different and you know you're not the norm mm. you know you face you face different moments <laughs> that make you question your your very existence right so yes absolutely I you know like like many other people in the world I have you know faced you know different situations in my instance I think is when they happen to you in your in your personal life versus when some things happen to you in your professional space you know your reactions might be different and what you do might vary and might be different but it's unfortunate, but yeah, I, absolutely. I think uh, like many other people, I have had, you know, some experiences that have not been the most pleasant and I would not love, I would not want them to happen again to me or to, to anyone else. What do you draw on in those moments? Is there something either from a professional perspective or from your past that you can kind of draw on to, to get you through that and for it not to knock who you are, your confidence and, and your path forward? I, th- I think for me, you know, I, it's interesting, right? Because I do this work, I'm a practitioner, but I'm also a human being, right? So it's interesting to have that that intersection, of course. But I think in the years of doing this work, you kind of develop uh, a very, in, in my instance, at least, uh, a strong mindset in not letting these things impact you personally. So being able to take a little bit of a distance, not letting something like this weigh on you and mm. eat you up from inside. Being able to talk to someone, honestly, therapy is wonderful <laughs> yeah. in those in those instances. Being supported and surrounded by a fantastic group of allies, you know, in your life in general and, and supporters and partners is definitely one of the things that that helps as well. But I think for me, it just spurs me to do this work even more. You know, I think that's the outcome of when these things happen and these instances happen. It's ammunition in many ways to to continue to do this work. Yeah, I was going to say it has to give you that that level of empathy that perhaps, you know, somebody else from a, a majority group perhaps will, will lack because they don't have those personal, you know, the, those personal injuries and experiences and so on that they've had to overcome. And obviously, you know, minority groups, underrepresented groups have experiences from many, many different angles. But that feeling of not belonging, I presume, is is probably quite quite similar. It's hard to say. I, I don't know if it's quite similar or not. I think everyone's experiences are are unique. And the impact of, you know, your individual experiences are super unique. So it's hard. It's really hard to ever 
you can empathize with with mm. people for sure but i think until you've you've lived those experiences or you fully comprehend what that the impact of those are it's not the easiest to to fully understand yeah. i think there's another important piece is to to remember is that these incidents or instances they don't happen in isolation it's like paper cuts they happen for many people unfortunately over and over again yeah so you know in the form of you know microaggressions micro inequities sentences people say passingly jokes that are made that are supposed to be innocent or or, or mm. whatever we have to remember that these are not not things that people experience once but more often than not they're experiences that happen constantly yeah i think the paper cut analogy is is a really really powerful one actually because as you say it builds up over time and it's it's not just mm. a one hit and you get over it and you move on um, if you're facing that from many different angles at different levels on a, you know, even weekly basis, that's got to be pretty tough, particularly when you're surrounded by it potentially at work as well. And how do your, you know, how does your family see your career and your progression? Because it's fairly phenomenal. You know, you've gone, you, you, you took a pretty tough path right from the very beginning. It's not a, you know, the Indian TV and film industry is not a particularly easy industry to work in. And you've just taken progressively harder steps in many ways. What's their perspective on the work that you do now? Oh, they're just, they're extremely proud of me. They're extremely proud of the fact that in my instance, you know, an Indian woman is sitting on the CEO's team of a French multinational in, in Paris. That's, that's a fantastic story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're, they're extremely proud of me and they know that I'm a, I'm a tough cookie and, you know, ambitious and risk-taking. So they're, they're really proud of me. Where does that come from? Is that, is that something, you know, that you can look to your parents and, and say, I can see in them what, what I have now. Does it come down to kind of those, those experiences and that resilience that you've built have you ever thought about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so much comes from my my upbringing. My parents were they had gone they were immigrants in the U.S. in the '80s, and you know they were young parents and they were studying, and you know so I, I've lived a, a a really interesting life because of their their individual and it, uh, you know their partnership and their trajectories. So living in different different parts of the world, studying in ten different schools. You know, the this, this sense of being a, an outsider is, is kind of constant. So you've mm. developed, in my instance, I, I developed, you know, mechanisms to make it work for me. And I think some of my my resiliency comes comes from those lived experiences that I've had. Yeah, I can see how that would be the case. And and so almost when you go into those industries, you know, from a professional point of view, you're going into those industries, almost, I suppose, with an expectation of a particular experience, because that has been your lived experience to that point as well. Yeah, to some extent, but I'm, I think there's some of that. There's your upbringing, there's your personality as as well. Mm. And I'm just a person who doesn't, I, I don't really, on a professional perspective, like no is not really a word that I know very well. <laughs> so it's, it's always a not now, right? When people say no, especially in the context of the work that we're trying to do, I, I, I know it's not a, a hard no, it's a not now. Um, yeah. And we're going to come back and we're going to have this conversation again and we're going to make it happen. It might not be the right yeah. time right now, will be the right time soon. I think that's that's spot on actually from a DNI maturity perspective absolutely. You know, if you look at how far we've come even in the last 2 mm-hmm. years, 3 years since covid, things have changed fairly dramatically. So not now. Yes, I, I I completely get that. And I guess what's next for you, you know, um, as you say, you've been with the company now for a couple of years. I presume there's still still a lot of work to be done. Absolutely. There's a ton of work to be done. So I'm I'm super excited. We've just just gotten started. 
And we have lots of ambitions and, and plans ahead. So super excited about that. An important piece for me in my in my life is about, you know, making impact, which I think many people who do this work, um, yeah. yourself included, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, about. It's, it's about having a positive change and, and making impact. And I like to scale my, my impact. So, you know, I have my own consulting practice called the Inclusion Company as well that I that I try and bring that same lens to startups and scale ups. You know, I sit on the boards of an executive search firm in the UK called Leithweight. I sit on the board of a nonprofit called Take This, which supports mental health and gaming. So I'm really excited about all of those different places where I'm, you know, putting my energy and my passion. And they all come from the lens of, um, you know, making an impact and scaling my impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and bringing so much of that professional experience to those organizations, you know, whether it be charities, whether it be not-for-profits, whether it be, you know, organizations that, that, as you say, are trying to do good in the world, but don't necessarily have the dollars to to pay for somebody like yourself. I think that's a really fantastic approach to getting this work out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Rashi. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and congratulations on, on you know, on everything you've achieved so far and everything that you are achieving. As you say, it, it's really about that impact and making the changes for for people out there bit by bit. Likewise. Thank you, Helen. All the best for everything that you're doing and and to bring about that positive impact as well at scale. So I I appreciate it and I appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Rashi. Thank you so much to Rashi. If you want to check her out and all of the work that she's doing, head over to her LinkedIn, Rashi Sika at Ubisoft. I think she's had such a hands-on approach to this and it's really kind of implemented so many quite game-changing policies and practices through her work at, at Uber and now at Ubisoft. And, you know, hats off to her and everything that she's achieving in this space. It was great just to get a, an insight into her journey. And if you are on a similar journey or you have some experiences you would like to share with us on The Digest, then you know where to find me. Head over to LinkedIn. I'm Helen Maguire. Or indeed, check out diversely.io, where there's a bunch of free DNI resources, including scores and downloadable guides and blogs and all sorts of things. If you or your company is on this journey and want to find out more. And I will catch you next time. See ya.